There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to The Imaginable Workplace, where we explore how to make work better. I'm Carl Javier, CEO of Puma Podcast, an award-winning podcast production company that aims to spread the joy, power, and value there is in listening. And I'm Jackie Kanisa, founder and managing partner of Haraya Coaching. Rooted in wholeness, Haraya supports individuals and teams by creating brave and safe spaces for transformation. Welcome to season two and welcome Jackie. Uh, so Jackie is now my new co-host. You may remember Jackie from last season, but now she's stepping into the hosting chair. Yay. So in season one, we talked a lot about new topics at work, mental health, DEI, psychological safety, and so on. So these were like new things that we were grappling with. For season two, it's a little more basic building. So the vision for this time around is how do you build a dream team, develop people and unlock their full potential? Sounds like that's a lot uh, of topics to cover in this season, Carl. I'm really excited that this is a good series uh, in this season. There's a lot going on in both our companies, in Haraya, as well as in Puma Podcast. Both of us are adjusting to growing pains internally. Uh, at the same time, we're both adapting to changes happening around us. No? What remains constant and common with us as leaders of our organizations is the belief in a better, more human way of working and leading and the desire to behave and make decisions that align with that belief. I think we both share that as leaders, no, Carl? We've been thinking a lot about leadership and belief and making good decisions. You know, we never really want to think about termination like just as a word it feels cold and off and like something that you never really want to write down on the agenda or bring up with someone or actually do and that's why this episode we're going to explore you know how do we as leaders face termination and and think about how we can have more i guess humanity in the process mm. It is a heavy topic, and at the same time, so many companies are going through this experience. So maybe just to um, give a backdrop, how are we defining terminations? These might be situations where an employee or a number of employees are let go for a variety of reasons, including downsizing, redundancies from restructuring efforts, or even poor performance. Uh, but terminations can also be voluntary, where an employee terminates their relationship with the company for their own reasons. And what I think we'll begin with is a story of a leader that we spoke to who had to deal with terminating someone or risk being terminated himself because of this person's performance. 
my CEO came to me and said, I know what's happening here. I realize that you're you're carrying a problem person, right? You know, before you get, you think that you're being very noble and helpful. <laughs> I'm going to have to tell you, he said, that if you don't deal with a problem person like this or a problematic situation like this, he said, then you're going to become the problem and I will have to deal with you. So that was, that was the most diplomatic threat I've ever heard this person say it. That was Tonette Rivera, former chief supply chain officer at Mead Johnson Nutrition. He's talking about a crucial decision he had to make about an employee's future many years ago. Tonette has held high positions in many multinational corporations, and he's seen a lot of terminations and layoffs happen. But this particular one was the most challenging he'd have to face. Actually, he was managing a country, a country supply chain that had a manufacturing plant. Every month, his forecast was showing that he was going to miss his cost targets by a very wide margin. He was not doing well. He wasn't dealing with it. He wasn't cutting costs. I was helping him cope with these. Uh, It was taking a lot of my time. The reality is that it was costing the business and also taking the next time away from other things that also needed his attention. And in accepting this reality, he knew he would have to prepare himself for that uncomfortable conversation with this person. So I prepared. I prepared my spiel. I prepared my, I decided, yes, uh, he's, he's, he's been given a year and a half. He hasn't turned it around. So I went down there to his country and I said, Let's have a meeting, right? And because I had been coaching him a lot to try and turn this situation around, he thought it was another coaching session. He came with notebooks and you know, a little bit of pride about how he was beginning, beginning to turn some of it around, right? Um, and he was all eager to show me that there was some progress. And there, there I was about to terminate him. I've been in the position where I have to terminate someone. It's one of the things that people call a core memory for me as a leader or as a manager. Like I can very clearly define who I am before and after terminating someone. And I I don't want to downplay the pain of being on the receiving end of the termination because obviously it sucks to get fired. But having to do the firing is its own ordeal, I guess. So I totally get like how complicated this is for Tonet. Well, I, I appreciate you sharing that, Carl. I, I think there probably isn't enough acknowledgement that it is difficult on both ends. I've had to work with uh, other managers in having to go through this process, right? And the perspective they hold is that they do want to do what is right by the other person, and sometimes just don't know how. That's what makes this such a sensitive matter, this whole conversation around terminations, right? Because we are talking about human emotions, and there's so many factors that are involved in these processes. I'm just remembering that one manager that I had explained to me that when you let someone go from work, you're not just ending their life at your workplace. You are affecting their livelihood. Their entire life will be changed by this action. So I guess for now, we'll set aside the net story. We'll come back to it later. And 
we'll talk about how we reduce the anxiety and, and stress that we go through in this process and try to build more humanity into it. So what does having more humanity or being humane even mean? Translating that into Tagalog, what does it mean to be more makatao? I love that reference to Filipino language, Carl. I think the landing of that is so different when we when we use our own culture and language. Um, if you look up makatao, it will mean pagmamahal sa kapwa or love for your fellow human. Uh, and I want to reference um, uh, some of the research we've done uh, earlier this year in Haraya, we released a white paper on the role of language in shaping organizational culture. And we used the concept of kapwa in that paper. Kapwa refers to a shared identity with another person or group. And while kapwa is culturally significant to Filipinos, it really speaks to the need of human beings for belonging and connection. And that's evident across all cultures. So to do things in a way that is makatao or makakapwa feeds our collective need for connection. Uh, it recognizes uh, that we share space with others and it taps into Things like empathy, compassion, consideration for others. Uh, and I think that's really what we're talking about here today. And so when we think about that in the context of someone who might not be performing well, it might mean the, as simple as giving them feedback early on so that they have a chance to change and improve their performance. We'll listen to Tanette's story again. When I have decided to let go of someone, I always plan the conversation very carefully because it's important to preserve uh, self-respect. I had an exercise with a mentor where he, he sat me down and he said, just pretend that I'm your boss. Okay. And he put me in a frame of mind where I truly began to believe that he was my boss. And he said, so I've called you to this meeting today, he said, and uh, in order to tell you that we have to let you go. And I'm like, what? <laughs> we're going to have to let you go. What, what does that mean? It, you're you're going to have to leave the company. Why? Um, because uh, you keep doing this thing. And he would he named some hypothetical thing. And I, you know, by this time I'm I'm beginning to actually sweat. So he was he used to be a senior executive in the company, right? And he was my mentor. So there was an artifact of that relationship in my mind. So I said, why? Why does it bother you? And he said, well, it bothers a lot of people. But I didn't know. Oh, you didn't? No, I didn't. And he actually named the habit I had. <laughs> he was quite clever about this conversation. And he said, well, I'm sorry that you didn't know. And I said, but this is unfair. You, you, you didn't, nobody told me I could have changed. Oh, you would have changed? Of course I would. You know, I, my job is on the line. If you had told me that I was about to lose, you know, everything that I... I I've worked for, including my salary, if I'm going to become jobless in a few hours, I, I would change. And then he cut the exercise short and he said, this is why you need to talk to them long beforehand. Because sometimes all it needs is for them to be told, you got to stop that. I think what this 
example is trying to show us is if you give someone a chance to change, they might be able to, but you need to give them the runway. What we're talking about in terms of this termination specifically is this person is underperforming and it's probably because they lack skill. And that's the feedback that, that you want to give, right? Like you need to be doing this better and this is maybe the way that it can be done. So having those early interventions could save people. I learned also early on, like PIP, performance improvement plan and stuff. And usually those were tools that were used to remove people rather than to actually get them on a track that lets them improve and get better. Yeah. What I'm also hearing from what you shared is the importance of having the right intention to begin with. Is my intention in giving this feedback for you to succeed and set you up for improvement? Or am I using it as justification for letting you go eventually, right? Uh, do I truly believe that you're capable? And I really want to acknowledge that uh, giving feedback is, uh, especially to someone who's not performing well, very hard. At the same time, I try to take the perspective of doing right by this person, right? Which is, I think, what you were referring to as well, Carl. I want to be able to say that I did all I possibly could to avoid surprises later. When the difficult decision needs to be taken, they will say, yes, I understand why we got here and how we got here versus where the hell did that come from? <laughs> Which happens to. I've also seen this, like it is really awful to let someone go, but then you also know that they might thrive elsewhere. Maybe the skill set is not right or, you know, this isn't the right position for them or something like that. So even when you know this isn't the right place, you still want to do it compassionately. You need to find the way to, to do it properly. So, Tonet shared a practice at their company. Let's listen to his conversation with Jackie. What I do and what I found it as a personal practice that many people in the company and me, Johnson, uh, embraced was uh, I would tell the person, look, you're going to be happier elsewhere. I think you know that and I know that. Um, and we'll have that discussion um, until he accepts it, right? Uh, and then I'll say, look, here's what we're going to do. Don't come to work for the next three months. We're going to keep paying you a salary. You keep the company car for three months. You're covered by insurance, medical, accident, whatever. Don't come to work. Go find a job, right? Go find a job that, that will treasure you, a company that will nurture you, a company that will value higher than, than what we're doing. And don't, don't hesitate to ask for help. You're going to have three months to either save everything that you used to make or you know, live at the same standard of living. We have three months to look for a job and, and hopefully you'll find one and let us know if, you know, if you're having trouble and we'll try and help you meet that target. At the end of the day, the biggest opponent of that was the HR people who would say, ah, we, we can't really ensure someone who's no longer with the company. Oh, he is with the company. We're trying to improve the company. We're also trying to improve him. They were the ones who took the most uh, <laughs> convincing. So that, that became a practice. And I did that even for mass layoffs. I mean, I, I have seen that done in companies where you give people a good few months notice so they know that this is happening. But I think the challenge becomes they don't know if they personally are affected until closer in. 
that's usually what happens, right? You know it's it's out there in the horizon, the company's thinking about doing these changes. Yes. But you personally, you get your notice 30 days earlier. Typical process, right? So what you're saying, Tonet, is that you would give them notice earlier. 90 days. And we announce it. Um, so-and-so is, uh, is transitioning to another job. And he's currently looking for it. We were working towards succession. In the meantime, he uh, he remains a, a valued employee until the resignation becomes effective. We would announce it. This is a very generous severance package. Uh, looking at it as a startup person, I feel like it's it's great if you have the resources to offer this. But maybe if we acknowledge the limitations of the resources that you have at a startup. At the very least, there should be a fair amount of honesty about where the company is and how long the runway is so that people know what what to look forward to. Yeah, I think what you're saying is that you would like to set them up for a successful transition. I like what Tonette said, that, that this person will probably be more successful elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I love that perspective because in many cases, we, we are so worried that they won't be. And of course, people will have different circumstances. And ultimately, uh, the goal is to work in a company where you can thrive. But I guess I'll let uh, the conversation that we had with Tonet do the talking here. It was my executive coach who helped me understand that. And he said, you have to think about it in terms of you are doing the guy a great service. Because if you don't let him go, he's going to continue to suffer. And eventually, you're going to have to fire him. And, and then that's even worse, right? I guess that's easier to do when it's an, a, a, those one-offs, right? But how do you do that when it's massive layoffs? It has nothing to do with the person themselves. I don't want to sound like it's a cop-out. But you, you have to think of each of those people as an individual. There are no mass layoffs. There are only layoffs of a lot of individuals. Oh, that's so good. You know, if you if you think about it that way, then you can't help but be compassionate because then there it's not a 300 group, right? Or 200 or 12 or it's it's one person at a time. You have to go through the names. You have to know them. You have to like who are we letting go? We went through every name and we debated every name and we would say at the end of the day it'll be better for them if we let them go because then they can succeed some more somewhere else, right? Yeah, I like the perspective of they can succeed some more somewhere else. And if you handle the moment of truth well, I think in, in that moment of communicating what will happen and if you maintain their dignity in the process, they will come back later and say, you know what, thanks. It was difficult in that moment, and it was awful. I didn't understand it then, but now I know that I'm better off now. I think that's the goal when you're doing these conversations, right? Absolutely. It's a lot to take in, so let's take a quick break. Hi, it's Jackie Caniza, founder and chief instigator at Haraya Coaching. 
As a leadership coach, I often hear clients say that it's lonely at the top. In the years of building our business and developing our team, what's given me strength in adversity is being rooted in my own leadership strengths and values. More and more research shows that leaders are more effective when they lead with their whole selves. This is why we developed Kinaia, our executive coaching and leadership development program, to support our clients in leading with authenticity and wholeness. Connect with us via harayacoaching.com for a free coaching consultation so that together we can create your imaginable workplace. So if you remember at the start of the episode, Donette was sharing how he wanted to help this manager who was not doing well. He gave him a lot of chances, but it came to a point where he had to let him go. So what happened in the meeting room? Let's listen to that here. He was all eager to show me that there was some progress. And as I listened to him, not daring to interrupt him, I began to realize that he had that quality that is so hard to hire which is dedication, persistence. You know, even, even if he didn't have the skill needed to turn it around. So here was a guy who was trying his heart out to fix things, except that he didn't know how. So I told myself, this, this guy, I would hire this guy in a flash for those other qualities, right? And I said, you know what I'm going to do to myself? <laughs> I said... I'm going to give him an executive coach. And so I went away. I mean, I, I didn't go away, but in my mind while he was talking, I was already, my mind was already drifting to who can I get to train this guy in supply chain and finance? And I settled on a name. Um, and at the end of his uh, the conversation where he was looking at me with, with some anxiety because he could tell that I wasn't listening anymore. And now he was beginning to understand, oh shit, right? <laughs> What's happening here? And I said, here's what we're going to do. And I assigned him a coach um, and I, who was very good in supply chain and technology and in finance, one person. And I said, learn from this guy. So make a long story short, I went away and my CEO came to me and said, I noticed you didn't do it. <laughs> no, I didn't. And he said, he said the, the, the kindest thing of all, he said, this is your core. It's not mine. And I said, thank you. And again, to make a long story short, he turned it around. It didn't take him, it took him longer than three months, but it didn't take him six months. He turned it around. The guy we, had, we got to coach him was brilliant. He turned it around so much that I moved him to the regional office after a year uh, to do another job. And I wanted him back after he learned what that other job is. After he came back, I said, well, you're not coming back to your old job. You're going to another job. And we put him in one of the biggest regions of the company. And he was stunned. You want me to manage the supply chain there? I said, yes. And he was like, okay, thank you for this opportunity. And I told myself, you have no idea. You were minutes from being fired. <laughs> I think this is a supreme act of faith in this person's ability to, to bring it back. And I am so surprised, if only because 
it's very rare for someone to actually turn it around in this manner. My own personal experience has really shown that, you know, when when people don't deliver, usually they really are going to thrive elsewhere. And if I'm to sort of be blunt about it, one of the things I learned is if someone isn't a great fit, it's always better to let them go as soon as possible. Like the longer that you keep them on, it's the longer that the company isn't moving at the speed that it should be. And also the longer that they're somewhere that they aren't thriving. So I'm totally surprised by this. But also I really admire the CEO who has the ability to say, okay, okay, this is your call and I'm going to let you go with it. Yeah. I think what we're hearing in these stories of Danette are two possible scenarios that could come from the performance angle, right? You you have one who turns it around and does really, really well. And then you have one that really well, is not a good fit. And therefore, we have to make a tough decision. There's no real way of saying which direction it will go. But I think what I'm learning is that this is why we want to be much more considerate about doing these processes. And we have to really take into account the humanness of the individual who is involved here, right? It kind of reminds me of a saying we have in coaching where we believe that people are naturally creative, resourceful, and whole. And that means they're capable of figuring things out for themselves and finding their way. We just need to trust that well enough. So what is one takeaway that you're picking up from this episode, Carl? More than any specific thing that Tonette has shared is the fact that we are not alone in this. Like every good manager is struggling with this because every manager is essentially a trainer. Like I think managers are talent scouts, managers are trainers, managers are leaders. And so when you make a bet on someone and it's not working out, you have to assess that. It makes it feel a little less lonely to know that we're all struggling with this problem. Because it, when, when you are in this position and you have to make the decision, it is terribly lonely. And it's a thing that you cannot share. Yeah, and if you draw upon your natural humanity, then you're already on the right track. And if you are a leader who is listening to us and working with someone with performance challenges, maybe some things to ask yourself are, how can I be more open and honest about giving this person early feedback? What am I depriving them and my team of by not speaking openly about their performance? And if you're a leader who happens to be going through mass layoffs, perhaps ask yourself, how can I ensure that I'm thinking about this process in a way that honors each and every person's humanity and they're not just numbers on a page? I'm Carl Javier. And I'm Jackie Caniza. Thank you for listening to The Imaginable Workplace. This podcast is brought to you by Haraya Coaching, a company rooted in wholeness that supports individuals and teams by creating brave and safe spaces for transformation. In partnership with Puma Podcast, 
an award-winning podcast production company that aims to spread the joy, power, and value there is in listening. This episode was produced and written by Macy Hoven and Jen Horn and edited by Harl Sayat. If you appreciated this podcast, then we're sure you know someone else who'd also want to improve their workplace. So please share this with a colleague or a friend and follow this show on your podcast app for more stories, data, and insights on creating your imaginable workplace.